Well, good morning. It's great to have you a part of our Easter service, uh, those of you who are here in person, as well as those of you who um, are actually live streaming as our live stream congregation. We have quite a, a few of you over these uh, last number of months, and, and it's been an interesting time in the church to uh, pastor in a COVID situation, and I think it was an interesting thing even is, you may not have been aware of this, but I don't know if you, you realize that, well, well, let me show you the slide, that even Jesus was struggling a bit with this on Lord's <laughs> Supper. Can everybody see me? Um, and then some of you may not realize, but the week of the Easter, you know, the week of Good Friday, that whole Passion Week there, in the temple court there was a basketball game. You know, my March Madness fever, and they had that then too as well. And, and, and didn't realize that this was maybe foreshadowing what was to come during a lively game of pickup basketball. Peter denies Jesus three times, which, um, yeah, okay, bad humor. Anyway. It's okay to deny Jesus on the court in that sense, but you don't, you know, in person. But let's pray. Father, this is a great day, a great day of celebration. We are asking, Lord, that we will be people, just like it was been said a number of times here, where, where heaven, your love, your goodness, all that you have revealed through the resurrection that you saw through, we saw through the life of Jesus, this rule of your kingdom would guide our daily life. The vision we have, of the resurrected Jesus and our ultimate destiny would would just kind of course through us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I think now more than ever, the world needs hope. If if you assess our world situation, you, you could easily just say it's beyond hope. You know, that idea that it's just, you know, it's beyond that. And, and we took a digital survey this past week and asked people this very same question. Where do you believe we need hope in our world today? And, and those are some of the responses that came up. And I was surprised that health was really one of the, the, the largest ones until you factor in COVID, right? And I ask you, where do you need hope? Where are those areas maybe in your life, those spaces or places, could be relationships that in your mind seem to be beyond hope, where you need a sense of what happened in this resurrection and what we see in the vision of that and how Jesus shared that, um, that heaven that he reveals to us as he shared it in his daily life. How do we do that? What does that look like? How do we live in hope? In John chapter 16, verse 28, you can see that Jesus, before his his great prayer that he he gives in John, he, he says these words prior to his death, kind of the evening before, he looks at his disciples, he sees their concern, he's been talking about his death, and he, he needs to assure them, and he says, I came from the Father and entered the world, now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And that's an important statement, because Jesus lived with an awareness and understanding of, of, an, of basically two things, his identity and his ultimate destiny. He says um, he knew who he was. Jesus knew whose he was. That's his identity. That anchored him into life, could face anything, because he had an awareness that he was a son. He was the son, just that identity. And then his ultimate destiny is really important. He knew, he, he kind of knew where he had come from. He had tasted and experienced heaven, and he began to show that to people throughout his life. 
and, and eventually died for our sins and, and, uh, and died for those who rejected this God entering into this world. And then, here's a huge thing. He knew where he was going. His daily life was guided by this ultimate destiny. And boy, do we need that. We need that in our world today. When you think about the world we live in, as we're right in the midst of this trials with George Floyd and, and all the racial um, divide and, and, and disconnection and, and the potential pain that could come out of that, with the fears that people have of, of, of a plague that we're experiencing that could actually have another iteration and who knows what it will look like in the years to come. We, we have all kinds of political and, 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 and relational divide occurring around us where things just seem beyond hope. And, and then we have constant fighting over masks, vaccinations, when to open up, when to not. And, and, and we read the news and you, you look at the border situation and the immigration situation, you go, it just feels so beyond hope. And we look at our economic situation right now, which has been riding on the bubble of a lot of a help in the government, and you kind of go, how long will that be, and when will we face maybe some economic hard times and doom? And if there ever has been a time where you say the world is beyond hope and needs hope, now it is. And that's what Easter's all about. Easter is this opportunity for God to inject back into our hearts and into our lives once again an eternal hope. And a hope that is eternal, not in the sense that it's something just forever. It's a quality of life. It's, it's what Jesus experienced. And he knew where he came and he knew where he was going. And he, and he revealed to us in all fullness this day and resurrection what life is really like. What we can see is to be and what is to be and will be, we get the opportunity to allow that heaven that we see in Jesus that overcame death, you know, the greatest beyond hope situation. We have this Jesus who we, if we trust him, can actually allow our world in the relationships, in the situations where people are feeling beyond hope, can allow for us to be dispensers of hope. That's an incredible reality. It's an incredible truth. We have the opportunity to allow people to see what Jesus has planned for us yet to come. That's out there someday. It's this not yet, but already tension that we get to live it now. And when you begin to taste that, your heart begins to pump with hope and it begins to express it to others. And not only do you live in it, but you long for more of it. You just want more of it in this world. You want more of it in your life. I, uh, a couple years ago, we didn't last year do an Easter egg hunt with our grandsons, but a couple years ago, and I only had one grandson, and he was about a year and a half, we were all excited about an Easter egg hunt. So I you know, went ahead and I... I I hid all these little eggs, and uh, and and they were spread throughout. He had no idea what an Easter egg hunt was about. You know, he he had no idea of what he was getting into, what he was to look for. He didn't have a conception of it. He couldn't picture it. So I kind of had to help him walk through it and kind of picture it. And uh, and so I led him to the first egg. It was just well hidden under a flap of the couch. And I'm beginning to realize all these eggs are hidden way too hard. And he kind of looked at it and he uh, picked it up, gave it to me. 
um, and, and didn't know what to do with it, so I helped him open this little egg. And in this little egg, I did like a you know a dumb grandparent does, not understanding. We had chocolate little eggs in there, and that we realize now, chocolate sweets for kids are like opiates on their little brains if they're under three years of age. So <laughs> we're getting our kids addicted right away. Anyway. Uh, so I, I felt like, ah, uh, what are we doing? And, and so this year we, we went to jumbo eggs. Because <laughs> the little eggs, you can only hide the, you know, the opiates. So anyway, um, so we went to jumbo eggs. And the reason we went to jumbo eggs is because they're just easier to find, right? A lot easier to find. And here's the really cool thing about it. Because all you can hide in those little eggs are candy. The great thing about these jumbo eggs is that you can actually put, like, stuffed animals or clothes or small appliances or sports equipment. I mean... <laughs> It's just really an exciting, we're looking forward to an Easter egg hunt this afternoon when I get home. And if you're watching, grandkids, that's what's going to happen. But anyway, he comes to the first one, he opens it, and he doesn't know what it is, kind of smiles a little bit. Comes to the second one, now he's getting it, he opens it, and now he's really kind of excited. You can see he's more than amused, this is, grabs his attention, and, and I think he thinks he's done. He looks up at me, he goes, Papa! And then he uses in language and in the international um, language of baby, more egg, more egg, more egg. He tasted a little bit of what was out there yet to come. And when he tasted it, he goes, I just want more of this. And that's what I want to share with you. That when you begin to taste and have a reality of the picture of what heaven is and what it means for us to bring heaven into earth and so it can invade this earth through our lives, you are going to, in whatever language you have, say more, Jesus, more. We've been working through the uh, New Testament book called Acts and and it's all about people. Acts is all about the early church. It's people living in hope and the reality of the resurrection and daily sharing with others the hope that they have experienced in, in allowing through their lives the will of God to touch the hearts and lives of other people. It could be through healings and through all kinds of different ways. It can be through just good deeds. You'll see all the different ways that heaven invades earth. But here's the word in Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 43. Here's the story. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years, kind of a beyond-the-hope situation. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. And then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord, and they said, more of this, more heaven and earth, more presence of God in our lives. And he goes on and says, there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. And she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Here she was bringing a little bit of heaven into earth. She had a good conception of what her ultimate destiny is and how you bring it into this life. And about this time, she became ill and she died. And her body was washed for burial and laid up in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda. So they sent two men to beg him. They said, please come, Peter, as soon as you possibly come. can. We, we want you to come here. So Peter returned with them. And as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. And, and the room that was filled with, with widows who were weeping and showing him the coat and the other clothes, all the heaven-invade-earth kind of things that Dorcas 
had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room, and then he knelt, and he prayed. I think he probably said, Jesus, how do you want me to dispense hope here? And Jesus, like he does, he speaks to our hearts, and he looks at her and says, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and helped her up. And then he called in the widows and all the believers. And he presented her to them alive. And the news through the whole town, it spread. And many believed in the Lord. And they started saying, more of this invasion of heaven on earth. More of this God in our lives. More of this resurrected Jesus. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa living with Simon, the tanner of hides. And I asked myself, what gave Peter, what gave those first followers of Jesus this incredible ability to dispense hope wherever they went? What was it that they they had about them that changed everything? And it was this. They had actually um, seen and experienced. They had touched and tasted. They had spoken to. They had heard from the actual living, risen Jesus. And they understood that this Jesus who had lived before him and dispensed hope and had allowed heaven to invade earth again and again, who finally dies for their sins, they think it's hopeless, it's helpless, it's all over. Saturday's a bleak day until Sunday. This day, this day that we celebrate, here comes Jesus. He's out of the grave. He's overcome death. The greatest beyond hope thing that we could ever think of. And they came face to face with it. And it changed their life forever. And they'd be saying with their hearts, they cried out, more heaven. More of God's presence right here and now. More of the atmosphere of God's love and goodness and peace now. So what's your picture of your ultimate destiny? I know some of you are younger thinking, ah, someday I'll think about that. No, it it means it's a huge thing about what you see now about your ultimate destiny. It actually has implications for your life today. So what's your picture? I think few of us grasp well the fact of our identity that God really loves us, that he He sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins and and our own pride so that we could... um, in humbleness, be forgiven. And he, few of us realize how much he loves us. And let alone, beyond that, he actually likes you. You know, he doesn't kind of put up with you. He loves you. And, 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 and you begin to anchor it in that. It begins to allow for you to walk in this life. But then there's something more. Something incredibly more that we find here at Easter that is so important. Few of us have a clear picture of what God has in store for us that he wants us to um, allow to invade earth right now. A few of us have, a, I think, a good picture of that. In fact, I think we live with a distorted vision of heaven. Like this little cartoon kind of says, um, wish I'd bought a magazine, you know? You have a picture you're sitting on heaven and you're bored. And you're up in a cloud. Or, or this one that I think may be a far side one where up on the top little thing, if you can't read it, it says, well, welcome to heaven, here's your harp. And, and, and the one down below, welcome to hell, here's your accordion. I, I don't know if that's... The point is, I think a lot of people have these distorted views of what it is, this ultimate reality. Reality is kind of like this long church service where we're playing harps and it just is boring, right? 
And if you have that kind of view, you kind of go, well, why would I want to go there? What does it really mean? Okay, Jesus rose from the dead, etc. Hey, what is happening in heaven right now is what God wants to happen on earth. And it is uh, not yet all, you know, kind of already tension. We won't get there fully till we someday are in his presence where his will is completely um, able to work. But yet we live in a way where his will can invade our lives and the lives of others. There are countless ideas of heaven that are far from what heaven really is. And it is important. And I want to share with you in just these few moments, I want you to get a clear picture of what heaven is, what God intends for there to be on this earth. I like what John Orberg writes. He says, the danger isn't necessarily the stuff we don't know, but the stuff we think we know but got wrong. Think about that. It's not what we don't know, it's what we think we know, but we got it wrong. And heaven is just one of those words. The kingdom of God, eternal forever. Without the right and correct biblical picture of it, it can lose its compelling force. It has no compelling force in your daily life. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about it a second. Jesus spoke quite often about this. He was constantly sharing with his followers and with others the reality of this picture of heaven. In fact, just the night before he was going to go to the cross, he says to them this, you guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have, not, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. That's that ultimate destiny. And the Bible speaks about it in a number of different places. I'll just give you one other. It's very clearly written in the final chapters of the Bible in the book called Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 speaks of this better place that is out there that we bring here. It's a place of joy where our wounds are healed. Revelation 21 says it this day. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more death, no more mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Think about it. You'll never have anything to cry about again. And also he says this in this chapter, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. There will be no more sin Because those who have chosen to continue to sin or will not repent of it and get real and honest before God about it will not be allowed in. And beyond that, they won't want to be in his presence. They will make a choice not to be there. So let me ask you this. How many? Here's here's what I want you you to think about. How many would like to wake up tomorrow morning and have the world set right? I want you to look at it a different way. How many would you wake up tomorrow morning, your eyes open up, and the world is set right? My uh, professor, um, Dallas Willard, and my buddy, John Orper, kind of write some stuff on this, and I'm just going to kind of present it to you because I want you to experience as best you can the reality of where we're going and what we bring here to earth. Just think of this. No more hungry children. No more terrorists. No more school shootings. No more mass murders. No more broken families. No more hostile work environments. No more abusive relationships. No more migraines or chronic back problems or stomach cramps. No more cancer or MS or immune deficiency disorders. No more drought. 
No more racism. No more division or manipulation or hidden agendas or lustful thoughts or fear of financial hardships. And here's one I really like. No more political advertisements or fake news. No more sin, shame, guilt, or death. The world's made right. But not only that. You would be living, loving, creating, developing, building, engineering, computing, caring, and tending all with such passion that time would just seem irrelevant. You are in this eternal sense of flow where you're living out your life to your fullest just as you were intended and created to be. Think of that. You would, you would speak the truth. You would look at others purely. You would listen to others with love. You would actually gaze in the eyes and see the other person's soul, their heart, their dreams, their hopes, their passions. You would be fully seen and fully known. You would be understood and loved for just who you are. And guess what? You'd be able to give those same gifts to everyone you meet. You would always feel safe and secure. Always feel safe and secure. And yet alive and filled with energy. Challenged and engaged throughout the day. You'd be a great friend. You'd do excellent work. Your body would do what it was meant to do. You'd be shooting three-pointers from wherever you wanted the court, sinking consistently 20-foot putt. You'd never have a bad hair day, and every outfit you picked out would fit perfectly. Maybe. Your mind would be alert and active. Every morning, catch this, every morning you would wake up with joy, and this joy would grow throughout the day, and the next day you would wake up with even more joy. And this would continue endlessly, day after day, month after month, year after year, millennium after millennium, into eternity that never ends. So I asked you again, how many would like the world set right in, would like that? You guys, I wish I was speaking to a black congregation right now. <laughs> Good Friday, we had some of our black friends from their church who were here, and they had to constrain themselves. How many would like that? Amen. That's the biblical vision and view of the afterlife. That's the vision of heaven according to Jesus. That's why he, he came and he lived and he died so that we could be able to enter into not that just someday, but that when we get touched by the reality of that, we could begin to bring that same kind of life here. We could live before our Father in heaven with other people without deceit. Beginning to, to allow our lives to be ruled in such a way that instead of reacting, we begin to learn how to respond in love and grace and goodness. And we begin to be dispensers of a kind of hope that this world hasn't seen. And people are kind of going, more of this. More of this. And if we don't have a vision of that, we don't have a clear picture of that, we don't have a clear picture of what Easter is about, it's about that kind of rule of God which our hearts all long for, which the people around you, their hearts all long for. And guess what, you guys? On top of this, you'll never be bored. It's not some big, long church service. It's about a life doing what it was intended to do, and everything you do in its expression glorifies God and brings greater and greater joy. Dallas Willard puts it this way. I like the way he writes this. He says, 
when he thinks of a, more, of a communal way, he says, your destiny is to be absorbed in a tremendously creative team effort under unimaginably splendid leadership on an unconceivably vast scale with ever-increasing cycles of productivity and enjoyment. And that is what eye has not seen and that is what ear has not heard. That lies before us in the prophetic vision of heaven. And it's that heaven that Jesus died for and rose again that says, guess what? This is indestructible, will never be shaken. And in fact, from now until then, you get to be able to dispense that into this world. That's what the resurrection is about. I can't wait for it. In 2016, a few years back, early Easter morning, my mom took her last breath and was promoted to heaven. And I remember preaching that message so filled with this sense of, you know what, this life is so short, I'll see you soon, mom, because you get to be in this made right world now, and I am going to be the kind of pastor, the kind of person with my heart that will seek to bring that made right world into this world everywhere I go. I want to be a dispenser of hope for the kingdom of God. So back to this passage of scripture um, briefly. It was their ultimate reality of their ultimate destiny that brought hope to their everyday life. Think about that. It was the ultimate reality of their ultimate destiny that brought hope to their everyday life. Heaven had invaded their hearts. They had touched Jesus, tasted experience, and walked with him and seen how he dispensed hope every day of his life. And they said, that will be my life. I will allow heaven, not only will I live in it and understand it and be anchored in my identity in this captured vision of ultimate destiny, but I will also live it and give it to others. That's what we do as a church. That's what the church is about. We can have all kinds of different expressions of worship and all kinds of different expressions of ministries, but ultimately it's around one thing. We are people who are in touch with the love and the complete, um, absolute will of God that has worked out perfectly, like I said, in heaven, and we get to dispense that. We get to live in ways where we don't live in deceit. We don't live in abusive situations. That We can come in and we can dispense hope. We can create environments where that hope is there. So in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43, you, you see these two stories where people are beyond hope. Peter walks into each of these. And in each of these, I think he's asking the same question. He comes from the very presence of this Jesus who has risen, who has power over everything, who is a God who is filled with love and goodness and grace and kindness. And he walks into the situation with a guy named Aeneas. And he looks at Aeneas, and Aeneas looks beyond hope. He's eight years paralyzed. And he basically prays, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to dispense hope here? And Jesus goes, raise him Raise him up, let him walk. And then everyone starts going, more of this. And then he goes to the next situation. He's called to go to this place. And in Joppa, here is this, this, this dear believer who's been dispensing hope by always doing good and helping the poor. It's not a big deal. It's not about the big miracles. You know, the miracles are, are still happening today. God is doing a lot of places where people just plain believe and trust. In the Middle East, in some of the Muslim countries, in some other places down in Africa, there are places where God's he's showing miracles because he wants people to know this place is real. There isn't sickness. There isn't death. This isn't there. And so bring it here. And he's allowed it to happen because some people just trust. I, I was, when I was the executive director of a school down in Florida, 
I remember one of the ladies from Nigeria said to me, she was in a very, very difficult area where there was a lot of Muslims, and she had been a believer in faith. Their whole little village had, and they'd been under persecution, and they had seen things happen. And she told me about a number of different miracles. And she looked at me at one point. She said, you know what, America, here's the thing. We, We couldn't live without God. In America, you don't need him. And it's not about the big miracles. I'm not saying it's about going around and, and it's being open to whatever God wants to do. It may be there's a healing. It may be something even more that God's going to do. But it's not just those miracles. It's the miracles of just making good things like Dorcas did. As she would hand these things and people would be in tears and said, look at the, the coach she made for us. Look at the good things she did for us. Look how she helped the poor. I don't know what it is, but it's dispensing heaven in the way that God has created you. And here's what Peter did in each and every situation when he lived his life. Guided by this ultimate, captured by this ultimate, ultimate destiny, understanding he's anchored in this identity of love and God, he went around and he said, geez, what do you want me to do here? It's really, really simple, guys. It means when you walk out of here, as you live your day tomorrow, it's just this kind of question again and again, God, you know what? I know my ultimate destiny is. I know that nothing can harm me here. Death doesn't have power over me. How do you want me to dispense hope today? What is it going to look like? The one thing it doesn't look like, and one thing I want you to be really clear about is when we think about heaven, uh, and I just say, for heaven's sake, don't get trapped into thinking about heaven being something out there just someday, divorced from this day that we live in every day. Jesus points to our ultimate destiny, not so that we can kind of somehow eke it out and maybe escape this beyond hope world. Man, if we can just get there, or or in some way where, where sometimes we hunker down and we just do nothing with this attitude, oh, it's going to all burn anyway. Almost kind of an angry kind of attitude. He doesn't reveal this incredible picture of our ultimate destiny so that we can in some way just build a fortress community with a bunch of other people who think like us and act like us so that we can isolate ourselves. We just don't want to be infected by that. He doesn't even call us to do what so often the world is calling us to do. And you might think it's not the world, but it is. To this whole fear of conspiracy theories that somehow if you're just not in the right loop, you're not thinking about it right, you're going to miss it and you're going to be, going to be under trouble. No, the Holy Spirit's much greater than that. That's not what heaven is about. Heaven is this ultimate rule of God. When Jesus prayed, he said to his father, he said to you guys, this is how you want to, this is how you need to pray. Our father who art in heaven, make your name so holy. You know, bring a sense of a picture of who you are. That's what that is. And then he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done right here on earth. Right here on earth, just like it is done in the ultimate destiny in this realm called heaven, every day, every moment, with every angel who seeks to obey and does what you, and, and creates this environment, would you bring that to earth in me? So heaven's out there. And it's never this kind of escape mentality. It's an engage mentality. It says, and heaven's out there because I'm bringing, I'm bringing heaven here. Guess what? I'm getting my, my COVID shot this week. I'm really excited. I'm getting the Johnson and Johnson, uh, the one and done. Uh, I don't care. You know, you may think different ways around this. Everybody, I'm fine with that. It's really good for us to agree to disagree, okay? Let's, let's, let's teach the world how to agree to disagree about stupid things, okay? And let's agree on one thing. There is a Jesus, and he wants to be related to you, okay? So 
I'm getting my COVID shot. It's a Johnson one and done. I'm excited about it because, I, and, and here's what's so interesting. I had such a hard time just getting it. I mean, it took me days. I finally get this thing and I'm excited because why am I excited? Because when you do get that shot, it does, it allows for the opportunity to live life differently and, and, and to recognize that, you know, you're a bit more secure, but guess what? Dispensers of hope in this reality called earth where we bring heaven. Can you imagine what changes in your life when Jesus changed your life because you know you're no longer a sinner? You're not living under that guilt. You are now living in the freedom of his love and that freedom of his love brings a new reality that you will live in this place and you get to share that with everybody. Happy Easter. The Lord is risen. Yeah, that's really weak. Anyway... The life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, are proof that God loves this world. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus so his kingdom could be seen in this world now. We would have a clear picture of this ultimate reality and this destiny, and we would live it daily in our life. God has not given up on this world. And God has not given up on you. God has not given up on your child. God has not given up on your family. God has not given up on your friend. God has not given up on this community. God has not given up on this city. God has not given up on this state. God has not given up on this nation. God has not given up on this world. God has not given up on us. This is what Easter is about. And so I just want you to know, I want you to be really clear on this because we get this idea that our, our, what we're doing now doesn't make a difference. What you are doing now is incredibly important because every time, every time you bring a part of heaven into this earth, this heaven will not be shaken in this earth. That's what Jesus says. There's a time it's going to be a great shaking. It says in Hebrews, it's going to be a great shaking. And only that which can't be shaken will remain. What is it remains? It's the things that are done in the kingdom of God in heaven that are done even now. They won't be shaken. So I just want you to hear this, and I'm going to ask the team to come up. Your life and all you do now to bring heaven to earth is significant. Listen to how I believe, N.T. Wright says this so well in his book, Surprised by Joy, by Hope. He says, you are not oiling wheels on a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown into the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself. So where you work, all the things you're doing that you do out of the will of God in him. Listen to this. It is accomplishing something that will become, in due course, part of God's new world. That should change the way you do parenting. That should change the way that you go about your business at work. It should change the way you live your life. All of it is accomplishing something will become, in due course, part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, and every work of art and music inspired by the love of God that delights in the beauty of his creation. Every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk. Every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings. And for that matter, for one's um, non-human beings, fellow human beings. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, 
builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption and makes the name of Jesus honored in all the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. Man, you should be filled with hope. There should be lines that they, you know, like trying to sign up for the COVID thing. There should be lines for people to sign up for this dispensing of hope that comes to the kingdom. That people kind of go, how can I, more of this. I'm going to end with this story. Um, my, uh, I was with my, my grandson, so you've got a couple grandson stories here today. So we were with him and, uh, just a couple weeks ago and we had vacation with him. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to be able to kind of go to bed and wake up with them there. And by eight o'clock, I'm exhausted. I don't get it, young parents, but anyway. But I had opportunities to watch him and one day in particular, I'm watching him. I'm watching my, you know, I've got three grandsons under, um, three and a half years of age. I'm watching my little eight month old tab. He's eating. And, and so is the uh, year-and-a-half-year-old, and so is then the three-and-a-half-year-old. They're all eating, and I'm watching how they are eating, because skill, eating is a skill, you know? It, to learn how to eat is not just something that comes naturally. So this little one, he's got this, this little eight-month-old is holding this uh, oil-baked cucumber thing. Because you remember, like, I didn't want to feed him opiates, so he's, you know... And he's having a hard time. He's kind of gnawing on it, not doing real well. And every once in a while, he's slipping through his hands, or you know, he's holding it too tight and splitting him up that way. And and I looked at him, and I just looked at the other two, and I said, because I knew I was just I was amazed by this skill of eating. And I just said to him, I said, you know, you guys, look at look at little tab, look at look at how good he is at eating. And then I I, I looked at little Howie, who's a year and a half, who who's doing better. I mean, he's you know holding things, and he's got a little kind of bib that that everything falls into and he's amazing you know take a piece of chicken and he'll actually get it in his mouth he'll chew it and then after a little bit he's kind of done with it and he'll spit it down into the bed and he'll grab something else like a grape or something and then all of a sudden he'll go back and get that one little thing because you know it's just the way it is and I, I looked at him and I said you guys look look how good how he eats and as I'm saying that, my little three-and-a-half-year-old son, grandson Whitaker, blurts out with all kinds of joy, and he goes, Papa, Papa, look at me. I'm gooder than that. <laughs> Folks, trust is a skill. It is something that you learn and you grow in. Every time you obey, every time you are prompted, every time you dispense hope, every time you believe your ultimate destiny and bring it into this reality, you are growing in the skill of trust. Sometimes there are scary things to do. I can't imagine saying to someone, if Jesus said to me, stand up and walk. I don't know what it is, but trust is a skill you learn. And for some of you, you're in the, you know, what I love about it is you can be, parents aren't, are okay with them being at different levels. We are all at different levels in this family. The skill of trust. But here's one thing I want to share with you as well. Some of you are not even in the eighth month old stage. You're today ready to be born and to taste for your first time the reality of Jesus' love and his power in your life and his ability to forgive your sins and, and to remove your guilt and that you can walk with him. He is calling you to taste, to, to obey by saying this simple prayer, Jesus, I ask that you would flood my heart with your presence and that heaven would invade my heart and it would then begin to invade those around me. If that's your prayer, just say, Jesus, I receive you right now. I I'm tasting for the first time trust in you. 
and I, I, I ingest you into my being. And I just pray right now for you that you would come alive in Christ. Holy Spirit, come into that heart and cause it to blossom forth with the goodness of God. You know what? Amen, Father. This is a holy moment. Let's, we're going to sing a song. This is a holy moment for some. Let's stand and let's sing this song together.